0: Welcome back Missio family. Today you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how life in the kingdom is one of repentance and grace. This is the gospel. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life.
1: Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Everybody's awake. Had a little bit of coffee, hopefully, and uh, we're glad that you're here. We know that it's summertime, and I've mentioned this before, but um, you know, people are kind of in and out, traveling. It's vacations. It's summer, North Dakota. Everybody's just kind of on the move, and so just a reminder that as we go through our series, if you want to stay connected, um, we have a podcast with the sermons on them. And so if you go to our website, missio.life, you can see all of the different platforms there. Otherwise, you can just go right over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and search up Missio Church. There might be a a bunch of them you have to sort through. Um, But if you want to stay connected with where we're at in our series, you can follow along, even when you're gone. And so otherwise, um, fill out a Connect card as well. We can keep you informed with text alerts of things that we're doing. And we hope that even through the summer, and things are crazy and busy, that we can stay connected with you. So we've been in this series called Kingdom Life And we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And so what did he mean by that? Jesus uh, spoke about this kingdom, which was invisible. People are like, well, where is it? I don't see it, Jesus. He said, well, that's not what it's like. It's an invisible kingdom that dwells in the hearts of people. And so Oftentimes, people didn't understand what Jesus was talking about, and so he tried to tell them, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like that, and he would use parables, stories, to describe what the kingdom was like. And so, Jesus would often use these parables, and then he would follow it up with something like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, or he who has eyes to see, let him see, and basically, that meant not everybody's going to get this, but for those of you that do, This is what the kingdom is like. And so Jesus was a master storyteller and one of probably the most popular or common well-known stories that Jesus shared was the story of the prodigal son. Who here has heard of the story of the prodigal son? Just raise your hand. Yeah, most of the room. So even if you didn't grow up in church, most people have heard of the prodigal son. It's just a very well-known story. And Jesus was such a good storyteller that uh, he, he shared this and people just are drawn to it. Even today, people are still drawn to this story. And so maybe you grew up in church, maybe you've heard this before, you've seen it on the flannel graph or you learned about it at BBS or, you know, church camp, whatever. But hang with me because I have a feeling that as we look at this story with fresh eyes, God might reveal some, some truth to you that maybe you didn't see before. And so we're going to look at this story of the prodigal son together from Luke chapter 15. But before we go there, I want to give us a little bit of context to Jesus's audience because he's speaking, he's telling this story to a group of people, and it's helpful if we know who he's talking to. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So we know that Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. He is speaking to the people of Israel, God's chosen people. But even amongst that crowd, there's a mix. He's got the overtly sinful people who he's obviously having meals with, hanging out with, the tax collectors and those who had kind of, you know, uh, they were traitors, They they had kind of turned and were working for Rome and they were collecting people's money, there were the sinners and then there were the, the religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees who just kind of had everything together and they were all about the outside appearance. Last week we talked about table theology and why did Jesus spend so much time around tables? And so if you missed that and you want to go back and check it out, you can do that. But we talked about the significance of Jesus spending time around a meal with people who were kind of unsavory. They were the, the crowd that wouldn't have made the guest list at the scribes and Pharisees' house. And so Jesus was hanging out with the drunkards and the, you know, the gluttons and the sinners and the prostitutes and all these people who typically wouldn't, you wouldn't want to associate with. And here they go again, their dog and him again. And so Jesus says, okay, I'm hearing you and I'm gonna tell you some stories. And so he shares two other parables before the third one that we're gonna read here. And so just keep in mind, that's the context of who Jesus is speaking to. And then he says, this is what the kingdom is like. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke 15, and we're going to read 11 through 32. It's kind of a long passage, so just settle in. It's going to be good. This is a good story. I love it. Here we go. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey to a faraway country where he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. "'I am no longer worthy to be called your son.' But the father said to his servants, "'Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, "'and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, "'and bring the fattened calf and kill it, "'and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might go celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate because this brother was dead and is is alive. He was lost and is found. So the story of the prodigal son, we typically focus on the son, right? The the younger son who went wild. And that's true. We're going to look at him this morning, but we're also going to look at the older brother and the father. There's three characters in this story. And and so let's let's look at the younger son first. Uh, He was the kid who was ready to spread his wings and fly. He had enough of the farm life. Okay, dad. Been working with you for a while, not that great. I'm going to go off and experience life on my own. And so he asks his father for his inheritance. This is kind of a big deal because really he's saying to his dad, I know you're not dead yet, but I want the money that's coming to me. I want to take what you have to give me and I want it now. So he's basically telling his dad, I'd rather if you were dead. That's that's really what he's getting at. So the son goes off, takes his father's inheritance, which his father gives to him. Isn't that amazing? And he gives it to him anyway, and, and the father probably knows what's going to happen. Dads, do we sometimes know what our kids are going to do, what they're about to walk into? We're able to kind of see it, and we're going, I don't know if that's such a good idea, but he let him go, and he gave him his inheritance. And so in Jewish culture, the oldest son would typically get a double portion and then the younger son would get what was left over. So it would be like a third of his father's estate. That's a lot of money. So his father gives him this money and he says, okay, go. And the younger son goes off and the Bible says that he, he squanders it. He squanders it with reckless living. He wastes all of his dad's money. And so he's out there looking at these pigs eating better than he's eating. He says, I need to go back. I need to go back to my dad. See, what he had believed when he was at the farm is that if I go out and I live my life, I'm gonna live my best life. Sin, there's something out there that sin is promising to me. And so he believed the lie that sin would give him something, but it disappoints. See, sin promises to give us what we want, but it ends up hurting us and others in the long run. That's, That's what sin does. The Bible tells us that sin brings pleasure for a season. It does. I mean, let's be honest. Sin can be all right. Like there's a reason that we're drawn to it because it gives us some form of pleasure or fulfillment. But it doesn't last. It's it, it's it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 14:12, there's a path before each person that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. That path might seem good for a while. It did to the younger son but it leads to death and disappointment. Proverbs 20, 17, stolen bread tastes sweet, but it turns to gravel in the mouth. Imagine eating a piece of bread and all of a sudden you're chewing rocks. Like what a contrast. So sin doesn't give us what we want or what we need long-term, it doesn't. Sin is like a mirage in the desert. You've seen in the movies, like the guy who's out there and he's in the the Sahara and it's hot and his canteen's like two miles back and it's dried out. And he's crawling and, he's, and he looks and he sees on the horizon, oh, there's an oasis. There's, there's a, a body of water and there's palm trees around it and there's fruit and there's shade and there's water to drink. And so he crawls towards it only to realize that it was a trick. It was a trick of his mind. It was a mirage. It wasn't really what he thought it was gonna be. That's what sin is. Sin is like a mirage. It entices us and says, come over here, look at how good this is. But in the end, we end up just disappointed and empty. That's what sin does. Makes promises that it can't keep. See, We might believe that rage will make us feel better if we have some anger in our heart towards somebody else. We say, man, if I could just get even with them, I'll feel better. And so maybe we lash out and we have some rage and, and maybe we do feel better for a short amount of time. But then we realize that that just hurt that other person and it hurt me and it does damage to relationships, and it really isn't, really isn't going to keep the promises that it made. We might believe that drugs or alcohol or food or some other substance will give us comfort, will medicate our issues, our problems. And so we turn to those things for relief of stress, only to realize that we become dependent on them or addicted to them. And the thing that we went to for relief becomes our master, and we're in bondage to it. Sin does that, it's a mirage, it welcomes us in and then leaves us empty. And some buy into the idea that material possessions or sex or porn or all these things can fulfill us and they don't. It's a mirage, that's what sin does. So the younger son, he sees the pigs and he says, I've been a fool, I need to go back to my father. And so he turns from the pig pen, he says, I'm going to go back to my dad and whatever I got to do, I'm going to come crawling back and so he heads back. Let's talk about the older son for a minute. The older son in the story says that he never left home. He was always there with the father, always kind of did his duty, you know. He was the firstborn. Any firstborns in here? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're the rule followers. You do what you're told for the most part. Uh, So the older son He never left home. He never demanded money. He never went out and threw a huge party like his brother did. He didn't go out with the prostitutes. He stayed and he worked alongside of his father. But what's interesting about the older son is even though he was in proximity, he was there doing the things, obeying his father, his heart really wasn't connected to him. And we see that in the text. I want you to see this in verse 27. One of the servants says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Then the older brother says, when this son of yours, so, so the servant says, it's your brother. He says, no, it's, it's my dad's son. And then the father says, for your brother was dead. So the servant and the dad are trying to say, he's still your brother. And he says, no, he's not. He's your son. Anyone ever do that with your kids when they act up? He's your child. No, he's your child. <laughs> We do that sometimes. But, but, the, but the brother, the older brother, he didn't want to own up to this, this younger brother. And we don't know what the relationship was like before he left. Maybe they were tight, maybe they weren't. Maybe uh, older brother had to work more since younger brother left. We don't know. We don't know all the, the details, but we know his heart and his attitude when he came back because it shows us in the text. The older son's attitude reveals pride and resentment and a lack of grace. So he's there, he's present with his dad, but he's not really he's not really interested in a relationship with his father. He's not close with him. And I think that's what, what this is getting at is that he didn't really have a relationship with the father. So little brother comes home from his trip to Vegas or wherever he went, you know. And he comes back home and and they throw him a party. I mean, they got the fattened calf. Like, I'm thinking this thing's been on the smoker for at least, you know, 12 to 14 hours. They're having some brisket. They're having some corn on the cob, some baked beans and, you know, coleslaw and like all the fixings. I mean, I'm getting hungry now thinking about that. Whatever they had, they had a fattened calf. We know they had good meat and then a bunch of Jewish sides, I guess. But the father says, come and, and be a part of the celebration. It's a feast. Your brother's home. He says, no, he's your son. I don't know who that guy is. I'm not going to go in there and celebrate with you. And it's revealing of his heart. But what I love is that the father doesn't say, okay, well, then you sit out here and pout, which maybe I would say to my son (laughs) at times. But he goes out. He goes out to the older son and he says, hey, let me talk to you. Come on in. And this is what the older son says to his dad. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He doesn't say, you never threw me a party, you never put a robe on me, and and I got to celebrate with you. He said, I want a goat so I can go celebrate with my friends. Father, I don't really want to hang out with you. I just want what you have to offer me. And so what's interesting about these two brothers is even though the outcomes are very different, younger brother goes off and squanders his inheritance and gets wild, and the younger and the older brother sticks around, works, and is obedient, their hearts are really the same. They both want what the father has to offer. Both of the sons want the father's stuff, but they don't really want the father. Isn't that interesting? They used the father. We probably all know what it's like to be used. It doesn't feel good to be used. It's the person who always needs a favor. They need your help, and, and you help them, and you help them, and you help them, and you say, hey, could you come over and help me with this? Ah, sorry, busy. They don't have time for you, and you start to feel like it's very one way. Well, the person who you got to dinner with, and you're always picking up the check, and it's like an expectation, it's like, it doesn't feel good to be used, whether it's a family member, friends. Like, we're people. We want to be in relationship. We don't just want to be uh, used for what we have to offer, but the father, that's how he's being treated by both of his sons. So I want to pause for two questions of discussion, and then we'll move on. First question is this Why doesn't the father punish the younger son? Why do you think the father doesn't punish him when he comes home? What do you guys think? Punish. The son's already been punished. He punished himself. Yeah, the consequences be. of his sin. In the back? That was it? Yeah, anything else? Yeah, tough love. Tough love? Yeah.
0: It's kind of like, you know, um, sometimes you've got to to love something, you've got to let it go. You know, you've got to let, let it go, and it comes back. If it comes back, it's going to come back tenfold. Mm. You know, and I believe mean, that the father, because Punish the son was because it was a tough love kind of thing. I love you so much, I gotta let you go and do your thing. You know what I'm saying? I had let uh, my child mine
1: go the same way. You know, hey, you gotta, gotta, let him go. You know what I'm saying? So they can go and let just let the, you can't hold a bird to its to its nest kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, kind of letting people have some space and and having letting them go. And I and I think the way that the son came back really told the father all he needed to know. He was humble. He, was humble. he, he came back. He, he, he could see it in his eye. He started to try to get it out, and he said, nope, nope, nope. I don't, want to, I don't need to hear it. Let's throw a party. Let's, let's kill the fattened calf. Second question is this. What does the father say to the older brother at the end of the story? Do you remember? What, is the, what does the father say to him? He was, dead, now he's alive. he was dead, and now he's alive. Yeah, What is? Uh, what is the significance of that? What do you think that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you guys think? Anybody else? What else does he say to him at the end of the story? Arlen. All that I have is yours. That's profound. And I don't think. You've always, been with you've always been with me. You've been with yeah. You've taken all this for granted. It's all yours. It's crazy, right? So let's talk about the Father. We looked at the younger son, we looked at the older brother, and this is what it says in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. So I want you to see, it doesn't say, the text doesn't say the father was sitting there on the couch watching Netflix, and there was a door, knock at the door, and his son, and he was surprised to see him. It says he saw him a long way off, which means that the father was looking for the son. He was waiting for the son. He was watching and he, and he saw him on the horizon. I think that's my son and he squints and that's my son. And his response is he runs. And, and I don't know if we can fully appreciate this because you know, running is part of our culture. In Jewish culture, it was not normal for men to run around. They just didn't do that, they walked. And they wore long robes. They didn't have the Lululemon shorty running shorts, you know. Like he had to, you know, get up his robe and and bundle it up in his arms and run undignified to his son. And he wraps his arms around him, he hugs him, and he kisses him. And it's such a beautiful picture of the heart of the father. It's so beautiful. And I think at this point we probably all realize who the father is in the story, that it represents God. We know that. And that's the heart of God toward us. But as you read through this story, there's also some application that arises and we say, well, who's the, who's the younger son represent? Does that represent somebody who knew Jesus and then is backslidden and then comes back to faith? Or is that somebody who never knew Jesus and you know, gets saved? Or you know, who does the older brother represent? And I, and I think we can get into a lot of trying to connect dots here that isn't really helpful. And again, we need to go back to the context of who was Jesus speaking to? He was speaking to people who were either on the run from God, the people who were sinful and they knew it. And he was talking to the people who were the religious elite, those who were self-righteous, who were in close proximity to the things of God, but maybe didn't have much of a relationship or any relationship. So the point of the story isn't the, the, the prodigal son. The point of the story is the heart of the Father. This is God's heart. And that's why Jesus is telling this story. He says, this is what the kingdom is like. This is the heart of the Father. He welcomes you back. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. And whichever son you kind of resonate with, that's the heart of God. And so the Father's heart is one of love and grace, and the gospel is good news for all those willing to repent. If you go back and look through the whole chapter of, of Luke 15, there's a thread that runs through every parable, and it's repentance. Repentance. That's what the younger son did. He changed his mind. He said, these pigs are eating better than me. And he changed his mind. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to go back to my father. Father. That's repentance. See, repentance isn't just feeling bad about sin. I mean, that, your feelings are important, you, you know. You probably are going to feel bad about it. But repentance isn't just, hey, I, I messed up, I feel bad, and I'm going to change. There, there's a process of repentance. Repentance is a simple thing. It's a change of mind, truth, that leads to a change of heart, belief, that leads to a change of behavior. I want to put up the circle illustration here. We've gone through this before, some of you have seen this, and really, I'm not going to walk through all of this today, but I want you to see the the, the repent and believe. So something happens, we realize something's off, there's a a kairos moment, and then we we go around, we say, repent, who is God? Oh, He's my Father, His his servants are eating better than I am. How do we know this to be true? Well, I've seen it, I, I lived it with Him, Right? What is now true of you? Well, I'm still his son. If I go back, maybe he'll feed me like a servant. I'm playing the role of the the younger son, by the way, if you didn't catch that. How do you get to live? Well, I'm gonna come back to him and I'm gonna see if he'll receive me. And on that believe side, he gets to live out the feast. He's welcome back into the family. And so repent and believe. These things go together. So if you wanna snap a picture of this with your phone, if this is helpful, or we can print some of these out. But repentance is necessary for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, repent. He says says it often in his teachings. So repentance is turning from thinking wrong, believing wrong, and saying, God, I'm done with that sin. I'm done with that mirage. I'm turning back to what you say is true because this kingdom life that you offer is true, and it's real, and it's genuine, and it's what I want. It's what you created me to live in. So, repentance is the way that we are restored to relationship with God. And again, Jesus teaches repentance is absolutely necessary for life in the kingdom. I love the heart of God that he ran to the son, that he welcomed him back. He could have said a lot of things. He could have said, Oh, look what the cat drug in. He could have said, Oh, yeah, I knew you'd come crawling back one of these days. Where's my money? How's your bank account doing? You know, that father could have said a lot of things to that son. Shame, shame. He didn't do that. He wrapped him up and hugged him. He put a ring on his finger. He put some sandals on his feet and a robe and he said, Let's party. You're home and I love you. Such a beautiful picture, isn't it? Two more questions for discussion, then we're going to wrap this. First one is this In your childhood, How did your dad or or father figure, if you didn't have a dad in your life, but in your childhood, how did your dad respond if you made a mistake? Anger. Anger? Pretty normal. What else? Humiliation. Humiliation? That's, that's, That's a pretty hard one. Say that again. Put you on the. I was the bacon. You were the bacon. You were the fattened calf. All right. I think I'm getting the picture here. A lot of our, our dads, and again, we're not here to throw anyone under the bus, but we don't always get treated the way that the father treats the son in the story. We've experienced a different version of that story, haven't we? Second question is this. If you make a mistake now, how do you believe God will respond? And and before you answer this, how do you actually believe, like in your heart? Not just I know the right answer, but how do you believe in your heart today that God will respond if you make a mistake? In my heart, I know that God will respond positive and I reach out again. Yeah. He sees it all and he will respond with grace. Yeah. Say that again. You're forgiven. Yeah. He's already responded. He's already responded. And, and I think, if you're like me, just to be honest, there are times where I'm just like, yes, Lord, I know you're gracious. I know I messed up. And there are times I kind of waffle back to like, he's going to get me. <laughs> he's going to whack me, you know? And it's like, we kind of go back and forth because that's the lie. That's the lie is like, he doesn't really love you. You messed up too big this time. There's too much that you did wrong this time. And he's going to whack you. But then I come back to the truth. I'm like, well, if God is who he says he is in this story, then his heart is one of love and grace and compassion. That's a lot better news for us. The point of the story is repentance. Jesus used the story of these two sons to illustrate no matter where you're at, if you're on the run from God, if you, you're living openly sinful and you just don't care and you're giving God the middle finger, like the heart of God is still to welcome you into his family, to throw a feast, to show you love and compassion and mercy. And if you're the person who's been in close proximity to God and the religious things and you grew up in church and went to the camps and Sunday school and youth group, but your heart is far from him, he says, I'm right here. All that I have is yours. You're my son too. And, and so you see, it doesn't really matter who you resonate with in the story. The heart of God is the focal piece. And so that's my encouragement for us today is where are you at? Are you running from God? Have you been telling him, I, I'm just not interested in you and I, I think I want to live over here because this, this sin has offered me a, a different path. The mirage has drawn me in. But maybe you've got to that place where you're realizing it's just, du- it's just dust. It's just more sand. It's more dryness. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. And he calls all of us to repentance, to a change of mind, a change of heart. So the question is, In the story, who needs repentance? We all need repentance. I need repentance. You need repentance. And so this morning, as we as we close, I want to lead us in an exercise very simple. I just invite you to, would you just close your eyes, bow your head? And I just want to create a little bit of space here this morning where we invite the Lord to speak to our hearts. And if there's something that we need to repent of, that we just ask him, Lord, would you reveal to me what it is that I've been believing, what lie I've been running after, what mirage of sin I've been entertaining. I just want to give you a couple of minutes of silence and then I'll pray for us. But just ask him in your own words, what do I need to repent of today? Thank you so much for your teaching, for your words, and for telling us what the kingdom is like. More importantly, showing us the heart of the Father through this story. And Lord, we know that we're all in need of repentance, that there are things in our hearts, things in our lives that aren't pleasing to you, that aren't honoring to you, that are um, compromises with sin. So Lord, thank you for your graciousness. thank you for your invitation to turn and come to the feast. come to the party. Life in the kingdom is not a drag. Life in the kingdom is dynamic, it's exciting, and it's full. And so Lord, would you forgive us where we have fallen short? And would you remind us that we belong to you, that we are your sons and your daughters? that it's only by your grace. And we are welcome at the table thank you Lord for your love for us in Jesus name Amen.
0: Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service the younger son sin promises to give us what we want but ends up hurting us and others in the long run sin is like a mirage in the desert we believe rage will make us feel better We might believe that drugs, alcohol, food, or other substance will give us the relief that we need from stress. Some of us buy into the idea that material possessions, sex, or porn will fill our desires. The older son. The older son's attitude reveals pride, resentment, and a lack of grace. Both sons wanted the father's stuff, but not the father. They used the father. The father. The father's heart is one of love and grace. The gospel is good news for those willing to repent. Repentance is a simple thing. It's a change of mind and heart that leads to a change of behavior. Discussion questions. Why doesn't the father punish the younger son? What does the father say to the older brother at the end of the story? Why is it significant? In your childhood, how did your dad respond if you made a mistake? If you make a mistake now, how do you believe God will respond? Thanks again for listening, Miss Yo Family, and we'll see you again next week.